I am now talking to Alicia Douglas, um, who is a therapist in uh, Katona, New York, in New York City, uh, trained in a variety of modalities, um, and uh, including Hakomi, which is her main focus, her main uh, approach. Hi, Alicia. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Serge. It's nice to talk to you. So... What this interview is about is uh, getting a sense of um, what it's like to see you work. And uh, maybe if you can think about uh, some of your clients during the past week and think if there is a session that you could recall that would give us a sense of how you work. Um, yeah, I... <clears throat> had a relatively new client. I think it was maybe his second or third session. He's had other therapy, which is common for my clients. Uh, I tend to draw people who have been in quite a bit of, of other, you know, counseling or therapies. And um, he was talking about the difficulties he's having with his girlfriend with whom he lives. And he was generalizing as to it being, he was suspicious that the problem that he had with her was a problem that he also has with other people in his business and... Um, as he was talking about it, I was noticing how much energy seemed to be in the upper part of his body, um, which is something I do when I'm looking at a client. I'm really tracking all the psychophysical signals and um, including, you know, the color in the face and um, how they're moving and how they're breathing. I think the breathing is particularly significant for me since I also um, teach yoga and meditation and, you know, I'm just very um, aware of that and I could tell he wasn't breathing very fully and there was all this energy in the upper part of the body and so I invited him to follow that energy and he and describe it if he had words for it and um, he used the word it, it feels like it wants to pull in it wants to pull my girlfriend in um, and so then <clears throat> I suggested an experiment in mindfulness which was a big Hakomi technique. I just want to just stop you for a minute to just uh, say, so what you're describing is that um, at first maybe um, there wouldn't be much of a difference between what you're doing and say traditional therapy, talk therapy, that you're talking with the client. But the difference is that um, you are tracking for signs of energy and psychophysical signs uh, in the client that you're noticing. Right. And based on your noticing them, then you're going to um, to ask something. Yeah, and I'm also I'm I'm working 
back and forth between the mind-body interface. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could start with talking, but I'm going to move it into the body if it feels appropriate or, or vice versa, depending on my hypothesis about the person in front of me and and how safe that person may feel going a little bit deeper, you know. Okay, so you're you're not just tracking the you know, the psychophysical symptoms of activation, but you're also paying attention to the safety that exists for yeah. the client. Yeah, and so when I was with this client and I proposed an experiment, I was very clear that he could amend it any way he wanted or he could throw it out the window. But if he was curious about it, what I invited him to do was I got a towel out of the closet and I held one side of the towel and he held the other. And we, I asked him if he wanted to do it sitting down or standing up. And he picked standing up and I said, okay, now let's both get mindful and when you're ready, you, you really pull the way you want to pull. So what I'm hearing is that um, um, that there is a lot of inviting in the languaging and appealing to his curiosity and also involving him in terms of, um, you know, what to choose and what to do. Is that part of your approach? And yes, that's definitely part of the approach. And, um, you know, always, always tracking each reaction. So when I put something out like that, as an experiment, you know, I'm also watching for his reaction in his face as well as his words because, you know, a very compliant client would just go along with it and not be really involved. So I I was trying to see where he was at with it, but he got very interested and and in fact put a lot of energy into it and and was almost dragging me around the room and uh and it was very satisfying for him and and actually the next week he came in and reported that that was so meaningful for him because he never had any idea how much energy he put into pulling his partner into his point of view or his need to do something and and so it's it's been sort of a gauge for him that he can use now to modify it and it's it's actually helped their relationship in the last week that's what he reported at least so um, that that kind of sticks in my mind both because it was kind of funny to me because I was getting dragged around the room. <laughs> um, that's how strong he was. And secondly, uh, that, you know, it's it's something that I just sort of creatively got inspired about, had no idea how it was going to fly, and it turned out to be uh, a really good experiment for him to gain insight into his into his behavior and his energy and his emotional um, display with his partner, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was exciting. And 
did this client um, have a sense, you say it's a relatively new client that you've seen just a few times before, uh, did he have a sense as he was starting to work with you that you were paying attention to body-related things, or um, you know, did he come for that, or how did you uh, introduce this uh, approach to him? Well, in the first session, uh, he had been recommended by a friend to Hokomi work. And um, I guess he found my name on the Hokomi website, if I'm remembering correctly. And so when he came in initially, you know, I always do an intake where I kind of ask people about their previous therapy experience. And then depending on, you know, what they say and and what they seem curious about, I try to clarify a little bit of how I work. And sometimes we even have a, a small experience of it in the first session, although I always try to make it a small experience because uh, I, I like to err on the side of going slowly to build safety and also build the container of the relationship, you know. So that people feel more secure when they go into the unknown because this um, present experience oriented therapy has a lot of mining the unknown in it for people. Mm-hmm. And you know, people get scared doing that. Uh, they also get curious. So you have to kind of. I find I have to uh, monitor them for that. <laughs> yeah. So. You mentioned when you were describing this a couple of times the the word mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, um, that is one of the principles of Hakomi. There's five principles, and I think mindfulness for me is is very sacred also because it's so connected to Buddhism. And that's been a, a, a an important part of my life for a long time. But in Hakomi, we use it. It's both a principle and a technique. So um, you know, it's as a principle, it's that we're recognizing the value of present experience and not trying to impose. Um, Structure or or judgment or old history on this present experience. I mean, it's not that present experience wouldn't have a tie to our history as a client, but to stay with what's here right now and try to open to it and follow where it takes us and. So we teach the client about mindfulness and how to use it Mm -hmm. to become more sensitive to their internal experience. Um, Ron Kurtz talks about it as, you know, being able to turn down the noise around you enough so that you can really go inside. Um, And (laughs) that, that way... Um, we evoke an experience like I was talking about with my client 
we invite them to go, the client to go into mindfulness first, and then we go and do the experiment. And it has a much uh, greater possibility of going deeper, I believe. And that's what you're describing, is that uh, as a result of the experience, he got uh, literally a sense of what it's like to drag somebody to his point of view or to right. pull. Yeah. And I think, you know, we we could also talk about it as in the in the forum of a Hakomi as assisted meditation. Hmm. We're kind of assisting the client to be mindful. And the thing that I found really valuable when I was training in Hakomi was how much emphasis there was on helping the therapist become mindful. So that you're mindful as the therapist of of how this client is affecting you, mm. you know. So you kind of jump between your own mindfulness and theirs and the co-creation of a, an experiment in mindfulness. So how do you track your own mindfulness as you're in a session? That's a great question. Um... Well, I'm always trying to pay attention to my breathing, probably because I wasn't a very good (laughs) breather in my younger years. And so that's my first anchor place is to go to, am I breathing into my abdomen, my diaphragm, and how's that going? So I go there first, and then I... And then I notice what else is happening, you know, the emotions that might be coming up, um, getting a sense of myself in the room, because when I was a younger therapist, and I've seen this with students also, there's this tendency to get just pulled into the client's experience, I think. You know, where you kind of are so absorbed you you forget you know to breathe so um, I'm always watching that tendency to to come out of myself towards the other maybe more than I need to you know mm-hmm. um, and and then also being able to really be empathetic to the point of allowing myself when when it is a really sad, tragic revelation that's going on, to let my eyes fill up and mm. notice that, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> to be touched by the client, but hold on to myself also. You know? Mm-hmm. Is that... Yeah, it feels very powerful when you say to be touched by the client, but hold on to yourself at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I guess that's that's what's so sacred about doing therapy, you know, that dance. 
so you, you talk about it in terms of sacred, mm-hmm. and um, you also are very uh, spiritual. You have a Buddhist practice that's very important to you. So do you want to talk a little bit more about the sacred dimension of the work for you? Yeah, uh, I, I think what's sacred about it for me, it's the two elements of the truthfulness and the incredible intimacy um, and, and the trust. Those three things that are implicit in doing really deep uh, clinical work. Um, and I feel like when a client invests themselves uh, with all those elements in the process, it's like they're giving you, as the therapist, the jewel of their soul, you know, to help them polish and get and bring out shining, you know. And I, I. Even though I've been working in this business for over 25 years, the moments when I really feel that happening uh, over and over again just really touch me. And I feel so blessed to, to be a part of a process that allows that because so much in the outer world doesn't allow that. So much in ordinary consciousness keeps us distracted and estranged from each other and lying and violent and all that stuff. So that's why it seems really sacred to me. Yeah. So there's a spiritual dimension, that emotional dimension for you, the sense of uh, being touched and letting yourself be touched and letting it be visible. Um, And at the same time as there is all of this uh, spiritual and emotional presence, there is also um, a very concrete sense of being grounded in the reality of the body. Mm -hmm. So how how do you live that? in this session are you aware of your own body um, you know through the breathing um, how's that um, how do you um, weave all of these strands together well I, I think I <clears throat> for one thing I, I always take breaks between clients so that I can kind of ground myself and prepare myself and let go from one session to another and sort of reestablish my 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 whole body and mind. Mm-hmm. And so and then when I'm in a session I'm I'm at, at the same time that I'm making the client my meditation, I'm also checking in with myself constantly and sort of observing and that would be my mindfulness observing my thoughts, feelings emotions uh, what's getting triggered whether I'm spacing out which doesn't happen very often but you know that's an indicator to me that there may be something going on that I don't want to pay attention to or that the client's not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm always kind of jumping between the client and myself, tracking both, both, and using my my own body mind as sort of a a very a Geiger counter, if you will. <laughs> so um, that's. Does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, so the you know the word that keeps coming back is the tracking of tracking the client, tracking yourself, um, and not just tracking thoughts, but tracking the whole body mind of the client and yourself. Yeah, and then kind of sifting out, and I think this is something that comes with experience, and it's harder to do when you're a beginner. Is sifting out which elements of this whole field you want to contact, you know, um, in the client, uh, and and which things seem, you know, you really want to bookmark for follow up, you know, because <laughs> um, I think it's inevitable to. Uh, be building hypotheses while you're working with somebody about how they are in their lives and what their lives look like now and where they may be self-limiting, you know. So, um, so um, you described what happened with this client. Do you want to maybe... Think about another example to to give a sense of maybe the the range or the types of interventions and how you work with people um, on a, on mindfulness and paying attention to the body and using the body for that experience. Um, well, sure. Uh, here, this example is it's sort of a technique I use that actually merges my training in Gestalt and my training in Hakomi. Um, And I've done it with several clients where these have been clients who have come in and felt very overwhelmed and had a lot on their plate. And so what I've asked them to do is designate pillows in the room depending on size and color and weight um, as the different elements of this overwhelm. Like one one uh, pillow might be picked for the career problems they're having. Another might be their relationship with their mate. Another might be a, a specific task they've had that they have on their place that has a deadline. Um, one, another might be a child that's problematic, you know. And so I, I remember one client ended up with using every single pillow in my room, which must have been about seven or eight pillows. And he was surrounded by these pillows because the other thing I did was ask him to get mindful and put the pillows, once he picked the pillow for the subject, put it in proximal distance in terms of how it felt energetically 
to him mm. in his life, you know? Was it something that was really even on his body, or was it something to the left or right or center? Well, this client ended up sort of in in a moat of pillows. <laughs> and he was so astounded when he looked around him and he said, no wonder I feel like I can't breathe, you know, because he was just covered. I mean, he had pillows on him. He had pillows around him. And and so then as as a result of that, we were able to get clear about which ones he could actually address, which ones he could maybe put a little further away or were connected to some other pillows, you know, and so that took a couple of more sessions to work through that, but it actually gave him kind of a a visual and kinesthetic sense of his overwhelm so that he was able to strategically approach and prioritize um, the, the things that were overwhelming him and begin to kind of chip away at them, you know? Mm-hmm. So that would be um, another example of, of how I work, you know, integrating uh, various techniques and mindfulness and present experience. Yeah. So. So the present experience, um, and, uh, you know, brings me to the other point, you're also a poet, and uh, how's that, uh, you know, is that something that is part of your, um, is that side of you also manifest in your work as a therapist? Occasionally, I think... One way it does is my choice of language. Um, So when I'm trying to help a client put words to an experience, you know, sometimes you get clients who are very verbally uh, unable to describe what's going on with them. And... I'll let them search around a little bit, but then if I feel it's appropriate, I'll jump in with some words. And I think that's where my verbal ability, my poetic self comes out sometimes because I often choose a word that's uh, right on for that client and it's such a relief for them to have a word for it. And sometimes I've actually used some poetry um, as an intervention, you know, or a way to kind of integrate a client's experience. Uh, I remember using um, for a woman who was going through a, a major breakup with her husband and there was a lot of family strife as a result. I used Elizabeth Bishop's One Art in which there's a line that's repeated in there, the art of losing isn't hard to master. And, uh, you know, that poem became so important to that client that she went out and bought Elizabeth Bishop, completed, you know, uh, selected poems and stuff, and thanked me for it many sessions later. 
So I, I think, you know, I really believe and have experienced the power of, of the word when it's, when it's um, imbued with mindfulness and creativity. Mm. So mindfulness and creativity are really the key words for you, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, you probably have experienced this. When people become healthier, one of the things that you see restored is their creativity. Mm. So I really... I'm an advocate for that. I, you know, when I'm, I'm doing an intake on somebody, my intakes are kind of loose, but one of the things I, I'm always looking at, not only what are they doing for their physical health, but, but where's their creativity? Where's their passion? You know? And I just think that's so important for all of us. Yeah. So, um, it seems to be um, fair to uh, to say that your passion is about creativity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the arts, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love music. I love poetry. I love the visual arts. Um, and I think regular doses of exposure to those things even if you're not involved in them as as an artist are really good at sort of jumping you out of your ordinary consciousness and and maybe filling you with some kind of inspiration or or new way of looking or feeling so so this sounds like a great place to um, maybe end this uh, conversation on that inspiring note. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Lisha. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.